Welcome to the latest installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by a panel of industry leaders as we discuss the following topic. Decoding DevOps, culture or position. Before we go deeper into the topic, let's just make our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and also your interests outside of the workplace. Martin, obviously you've been on the podcast before, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Martin. I'm uh, uh, originally from from Uruguay. I've been around quite a bit, so I I've uh, worked and lived in a few countries, but eventually made it to Denmark, and uh, that's where I'm based now for the last six years or so. Um, I started my career as a developer. Um, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, something like that. Um, Moved to operations, um, yeah, a lot of uh, consultancy, and then, you know, uh, that means you also uh, change uh, environments quite a bit. Um, so that also means you get exposed to some other technologies as well. Uh, worked very close to IBM for a long time. Um, I have a book published by IBM Redbooks, uh, published all all the way back in 2011, um, so it's probably obsolete by now. Um, yeah, uh, lately I've been, well lately, the last several years I've been working with yeah, DevOps, uh, uh, Kubernetes, uh, you know, all the all the yeah, Azure DevOps, Kubernetes, uh, uh, CICD, uh, all, all the good stuff. Um, and um, yeah, also in the, uh, been into management as well. Um, so yeah, that's the professional side. Uh, on uh, on a personal side, I'm uh, yeah, I uh, live with my uh, girlfriend and my dog or our dog. Um, um, I like uh, I spend quite a bit of time uh, playing music. Whatever I can get my hands on, I can make some noise. Uh, guitar, I'm I'm actually okay at the the rest. I don't know. Uh, then if I have any time left, I like cycling as well, um, which also takes quite a bit of time. So yeah, that's me. Yes. Amazing. Antons, tell us a bit about yourself, mate. All right. Nice to meet you, everyone. Uh, my name is Antons and uh, I have been living in Denmark for 11 years so far. Uh, no other countries yes, yet uh, besides Estonia, where I come from. Um, I have a pretty non-linear career path, as they say. I, I, I worked uh, as a sales director in an e-commerce company after finishing my master's here in Denmark in business intelligence. Um, then I moved to AI and data science and was considering doing an industrial PhD in it at some point. And then after eight months, I changed my mind and uh, switched back uh, a bit more to the business side. Um, and recently, a few years ago, uh, back again to engineering, where I actually originally started even before coming to Denmark in full stack development, much like Martin did. So my current role is uh, I'm a head of uh, platform operations and insights at Nexta.io, which is a software as a service marketing automation company. Uh, I've been there for a few years and I'm responsible for our core integrations team and uh, a bunch of engineering projects across the entire company that spawn our entire engineering organization. 
Um, so I interact a lot with uh, both DevOps and uh, Kubernetes, uh, also much like Martin, but also just the good old engineering product and then the business uh, at the end of the pipeline. Um, in my free time, I uh, do bouldering. I recently started and I'm doing pretty pretty well in it because I used to do a lot of parkour and free running when I was a teenager. So there is definitely uh, some transference of skills uh, that takes place. But besides that, uh, I like traveling um, with my girlfriend. Um, we live also here together in Copenhagen. Uh, used to dance a lot of salsa, uh, but recently I, I, I stopped in favor of bouldering. Um, yeah, so that's me. Happy to be here. Amazing. The the parkouring, bouldering, salsa dancing uh, software guy. Cool. Uh, thanks for that, Anton's David. You're up. Yeah, my name is David Johannes Christensen. Um, I'm a CEO of a small consulting company where we do only DevOps. Um, and I've been doing DevOps in some form or shape for the last eight years, give or take. I sort of fell in love with this whole idea that you can automate things which otherwise take time and require manual interaction and it just seemed magical but what really made me like passionate about devops was that i walked into a little training room in copenhagen um, and came face to face with kubernetes and kelsey hightower back in 2015 and that sort of just sprung off a whole career of, of like automating everything in sight um i worked with it from from both the developer point of view the operator point of view like everything in between give it infrastructure or not as well as the manager side um, in whatever field you can think of. I, I was sort of semi-managerial in a robotics company for about three years and sort of orchestrating robotics and DevOps is, is a really fun thing, but that's a story for, for a later time. Um, and then, you know, I sort of decided to do my own thing in the end, and, and we've been having a great time doing DevOps with a whole bunch of different customers, um, sort of seeing everything and nothing. Um, and then similar to you guys, I, I sort of have a love of climbing. Um, I climbed mountains for about the last 10 years and only recently quit because I figured, okay, it was time to try something new and picked up Tai Chi because, you know, what 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 to do otherwise than like spend time on a martial art, which will take like the next 20 years to get even decent at. Um, and my great wife sort of gives me an outlet for going to those mountains in Greece and climbing those still. So it's not like I'm missing out horribly. <laughs> I think that's the short version. I can, I can keep talking nice. about stuff, but uh, we'll get back <laughs> to that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I've got a panel of interesting guys on my hand today, but uh, Nicolas, take it away, last but not least. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's a great honor to, to be here with you guys. Uh, I started my career being having the feeling that I was not quite finished with the university, so I took a PhD in machine learning. And after that, uh, I had spent a few years in academia doing some teaching, some research, and uh, then I jumped out to the industry and uh, was a full stack developer for 12, 13 years. And uh, most recently, I've been managing a team, uh, a DevOps team uh, with uh, 12 developers uh, in the energy area. And uh, in two days, I'm going to start at Novi Nordisk as a data scientist. So it's a kind of a bit career change. I hope I can use also some of my DevOps knowledge there. Okay. And in my spare time, yes, I, I like building stuff. So I built a water rocket launcher that I used to play around with with my kids. Then I also make homemade beer and I go to church. Yeah. Nice. Homemade beer. Yeah. How did you get into that one? Well, it uh, came out of interest. I was reading about it. So I can do that. Yeah. So and, and I could. Yes. Cool. Okay, guys. Thanks for the introductions anyway. 
Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Oh, we'll move on to the, the question in, in, in focus. So you've all got a statement or a question surrounding DevOps being either a culture or a position. If you could all bring some context surrounding your statement or question, it'd be great just so the listeners can understand a bit more about, about what it is we're talking about. Um, but David... Would you like to run us through your question and give some context behind it, please, as well? Sure. Um, I think so. I have, I have three different ones, but I think the first one is, is the one that fascinates me most, um, and it's sort of the topic of, of the podcast. So, DevOps being a culture or a role, um, I think it depends on, on which sort of angle you're looking from. My personal point of view is is that it's very much a cultural movement, but sort of the reason we're even debating it is is sort of back to what I used to call traditional companies versus software companies. So there is this sort of tension between companies that fell into software and, and companies that started out as software companies, um, sort of approaching software at a very different angle. Uh, when you're a traditional company, you're a lot more used to, to boxes and, and sort of structural things usually taught at, at business school and similar. Um, and to manage a company at scale, people try to push for things to be defined and, and boxed and structured. And, and that sort of takes on DevOps as a role. But it, it also misses the point in the sense that if, if if you're sort of looking at DevOps with the cultural angle, what you're looking for is flow, you're looking for quality, and you're looking to build that into the product at all stages of the game. It is very similar to somehow in, in, in sort of you ritualize something that's supposed to be a process, something that you're supposed to, to take as a as a part of the work you do, um, and instead try to define it as, as steps you go through to ensure something. Um, and it, it loses some of the effectivity. Like you just you lose out on all the benefits, and and you end up sort of raising the bar just a little bit. But at the end of the day, you're still left with something that's you know much worse than it could be, just because you're insisting on on keeping it in a structure that you can control. Um, I think that's that's not so much a question as sort of a statement on 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 the state of of the software industry. Um, my second question sort of deals with with a lot of the analogies to to how agile um, was was sort of rolled out in the early 2000s where it started out as, as a movement as a cultural angle on something and slowly became you know we do this set of rituals we hire these people we do these processes and then you know everything will be fine and again like it, it raises the bar for certain companies just a little bit above the floor level but then it freezes there and the whole machine rusts and you never see any improvement beyond that and, and there's a very sort of direct line for me between those two movements and, and sort of what we see in enterprises, especially big enterprises, missing the point. Um, and then the final question sort of is, you know, why is it so hard for business to lean into to the cultural part? Um, I've spent most of my career really enjoying sort of turning the culture of companies and, and, and poking and prodding and seeing what I can change for the better and permanently. But a lot of businesses resist innately. They don't really want to, to sort of change the way they do things. They, they, they want something defined that's simple that they don't have to think about that doesn't require a lot of effort from them. But it's very different with DevOps than it is with, for example, backend development or frontend development because it's, it's less recipe 
um, a, a lot of the DevOps stuff sort of deals with how do I create flow? And how do I create flow is a very different problem statement if you're dealing with something on the cloud than if you're dealing with a local network than if you're dealing with security. Like it's it's just not the same. And you'd have to make a different recipe for every area. Um, and I'd like to sort of have that debate around, you know, why do companies struggle so much with with leaning into the cultural parts? Um, so that's that's sort of all three of mine. Um, but we should probably start at the first one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack there and some really insightful stuff. But I'm wondering, I mean, who, who'd like to go first on trying to tackle the first one there? I can get started. I think I, I can. Uh, I can definitely relate to uh, you know starting with the, with the first one about uh, you know yeah companies being a little more uh, inclined to be boxed in and saying yeah now this is the DevOps team. I I, I definitely seen that and uh, yeah I think I think sometimes it's all, it's even as uh, straightforward as they rebrand operations as DevOps without any other change and. Now we have DevOps, and it it's like well, but that's just operations. Uh, you're not really doing anything. You're not really changing anything. But um, yeah, I th- I think it, it is maybe resistance to change, and uh, you know it is it is uh, different. You know, going from uh, the point where you are a company who has a group of developers and then they finish working on something and then they ship it and then it's out of my hands so now it's operations who uh, owns it it is a it is a considerable uh, mindset change to say well no that's not how we work anymore uh, we're not it's not it's development until it it's shipped and then it's operations it, it, it's it's uh, it's more of uh, as you said uh, the flow about the how how it goes from yeah, from uh, the moment that someone starts writing code or even before that to the point uh, that it gets shipped uh, to production. Um, and that's shared ownership uh, as well. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, yeah, it is a big change and some companies are probably a little hesitant to uh, or resistant uh, about it. But yeah, you have something to say about that? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with the rebranding of ops or, you know, sometimes of, of a specific part of dev um, sort of getting told, like, now you do DevOps because we need it. Um, I think what's, what's extra interesting is, is after sort of the book called Team Topologies came out and they put out a blueprint going like, this is how you do the thing. Um, people still don't really want to do it. Um, and I think it's, it's very fascinating that even when you sort of have a very structured journey in front of you written by two very great authors, uh, Skelton and, and Pace, like they still just refuse to take that journey. Um, what's your thoughts, Anton? I uh, I couldn't stop thinking about the phrase culture eats strategy for breakfast and I think it fits very well into that topic um, in particular because I think it is actually way wider than just DevOps because DevOps is based on agile and being agile is pretty challenging for a lot of the companies uh, that are used to the old school waterfall methods of software delivery, old school organizational structures, methods of work, and also not less uh, old school employees who are working in software from like 80s or 90s, way older than me. I mean, obviously in many industries and especially more traditional industries, it is a challenge to transition to just agile approaches and software delivery. And I think DevOps for those people, it is definitely something that, you know, sounds like a good buzzword uh, to have and to use in the vocabulary and maybe get a promotion because uh, now I'm certified in DevOps. But in reality, I still do all the old things uh, without real impact that an agile engineering practice can have. And my second point to this is that 
um, DevOps uh, came after Agile and um, Agile initially came as a movement to speed up the software delivery, to make more frequent releases, uh, uh, testing cycles and so on, to basically deliver software more often. And uh, the infrastructure and operations had to catch up. And DevOps is kind of a way for infrastructure and operations to catch up with agile software engineering because it was kind of left out and the operation and everything else was like an afterthought of it. And I think that in context of the agile movement, it's very important to remember that DevOps actually um, came into existence, existence and became important precisely because it was left out initially. Uh, so we need to make sure that uh, we catch up uh, to the modern ways of doing things. I think it's it's fun, you know, the sort of symbiotic and sometimes adversarial relationship between Agile and DevOps in the sense that like sort of Agile started by saying, hey, let's do it faster. I think Scrum sort of being the most normal people are like, well, let's deliver something every two weeks. And then DevOps to me, when you're doing it right, is like, let's just deliver all the time, right? Like who get, who wants to wait a whole two weeks to deliver anything? Let's just do it now, every five minutes, every 10 minutes, every whatever we can do, right? So so Agile sort of is, is to me, become the outdated version of this because like who wants to wait that long to do something, right? You can just do it right now. And so DevOps's focus on flow is, is one of those things that I find, you know, very interesting because you can always be better, you can always be faster, you can always have better quality, you can always just do better in some corner of the, of the operations, right? And sort of, it's it's fascinating in the sense that again, like Agile and 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 to some extent DevOps, that, that relationship you describe, Anton's, where you say like, you know, they're struggling just to be Agile and so DevOps is completely out of reach. I find that really on point. It's, it's you know, they sort of listen to the boss and hope that like this would then solve the problem that they're not solving in the first place. Um, that's a really nice uh, observation. Some good points, guys. Nikolaj, would you like to? I think you're on mute there, Nikolaj. Sorry about that. No worries at all. But it's easier than everything organized in boxes. So it, once your organization understands this is what they do in the DevOps department, and this is the DevOps department, you frame it. This is this is the box where I put these guys, these geeky guys with thick glasses. They do this. They have. Uh, they always do these. Uh, once we deliver the software, they push a button, and then it's uh, it's running. And when you uh, when you once you have this understanding of what they're doing, it's difficult to change. And uh, what are they doing? Maybe that's uh, that's that's a bit fluffy in in the organization. I think sort of the the move to what platform engineering was most organizations just deciding that that was too hard to fix. And so rather than attacking the cultural problem, they were just going to admit defeat from the beginning and, and put those thick last engineers as you bring them um, in, into a team and say, OK, you, you guys interact with these now. They're, they're, they're the abstraction. They're the, they're the thing that you run your software on. Um, and I see more and more that like platform teams are sort of a band-aid toward like, you know, it was too hard to solve the original problem. And so we're choosing to take the people with the knowledge and, and put them in the team so that they can at least take care of those heavy problems and then find an abstraction layer out to the rest of the developers. Um, I, I'm not sure that I've ever seen sort of a, a platform engineering team do terribly compared to, but but you sort of you get a very different um, buy-in from the whole organization when when you do the full stack DevOps part, where where sort of the teams take care of their own thing versus outsourcing it to a specific team. Um, it's a very different organizational dynamic, I think. Oh, it's a it's a great point, and I think just. Just moving on to to another question there, just so we can get a bit of a, a new a new perspective on the debate. Um, Nicolaj, 
would you like to pose your question and give some context behind it as well? Okay. Yeah, I was wondering why are we doing this uh, DevOps activities in the first place? So my first question is uh, quite simple. So it's, uh, what is the purpose of building pipelines and doing all these uh, DevOps activities? And I've been giving it some thought myself. Um, and I think it <clears throat> comes pretty much much in the same topic and as the one we have just been discussing, that it is uh, <clears throat> it ties up ties in with this uh, agile uh, methodology that uh, you just mentioned, David. That um, it comes uh, very much up and. It's about delivering fast and it's about delivering quality. So how do we <clears throat> ensure that the team is delivering uh, with a, a constant frequency, a high amount of quality? And I think that's that's the main purpose that uh, that we build these pipelines and how, why we automate. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah I think uh, I think it's. It... Yeah, one of the at least for me, one of the main main reasons you build pipelines and you, you know, you put all this effort in, into into uh, into all this is to have a repeatable uh, way of delivering software fast and with good quality, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, if if uh, yeah, I I think that's the that's the main reason, right? Uh, so to the to the beginning of the question, why do we do this? Uh, I guess that that's that's what my answer would be. Uh, you want to be able to deliver quickly, but without compromising on on quality and security, for example. Um, and then I think you you also um, have some had some some uh, yeah good points on on um, yeah having the vocabulary right uh, from you know um, so yeah it's important that we all you know. We're all talking about the same when we refer to uh, the same things, uh, and we understand each other. Um, I think that's also quite important. Um, but yeah, yeah, see, yeah, uh, Ma uh, yeah. yeah. Martin, uh, that was. Uh, I, I also posed a question. I didn't. I didn't say it here, but but there was another question. How do we ensure that everybody in your organization uh, agree on the terms like what is a, what is a branch, what is a, what is a release? Uh, what is an um, in installation and what is a package and if you don't uh, agree on what we mean about this then you have a sales manager who is telling the customers you can get a release but but that's not what we are building we are not we are not uh, shipping releases to our customers so you go back and uh, you tell the developer development team now we have to make a release and send it to the customers and they get a completely different uh, picture of what we are going to make here and i think the uh, the end of the day you will have a complete mess because they are not speaking the same language um, but how to deal with that? That's uh, that's uh, that's also a very complicated situation to solve. Yeah. yeah, I would like to add a bit more to what uh, Martin mentioned on the why DevOps. I think it's a great question, and I think that 
um, it, it's very often that we don't give it enough attention because I think the answer to that question is actually one or two levels deeper than just improving the productivity and having more frequent releases. So what? We have more frequent releases. I think that uh, one, one level deeper, the why becomes us delivering more value as software organizations for our clients. If we have exactly the same package of software that we might want to deliver, I don't know, uh, in one month from now, or we deliver it in two smaller packages every two weeks. This means that after we deliver the first package, it has already been creating value for another two weeks before the final package is delivered, which means that we create more value in total. And uh, that's, that's one important point. But the second one is, if we go one level deeper than that, it allows organizations to be more competitive on the market because if everyone else is doing that and we don't, it pretty much means that we are lagging behind in, in our delivery, which makes us less competitive and deliver less value. I think I want to add some more layering to that, Anton, because this is sort of you know one of those topics that I'm I'm very fond of. DevOps at its core, to me, is 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 sort of a yin yang of of flow and, and quality, and you can't have one without the other, and then they sort of feed into each other in this beautiful symbiotic relationship. So let's take a simple example. Let's say that it takes you a month to deploy something, right? That means that if you deploy something bad, it'll take you another month to fix that. If you have an automated process where you can deploy very quick and you have a lot of flow in your organization where you're not having people interrupt that process and it's fully automated, you can instead fix a mistake in five minutes. That also means that you know it takes the time to fix a mistake that it takes to figure out what the mistake was and correct it. So now instead of waiting a month, you can you know write the patch in five minutes and have it out you know twenty seconds later. That yin yang effect of like you know it's cheap to fail and then it's easy to fix means that you don't just get better quality, you also get better reaction time. You can do better testing. You can do better examples of of marketing and and sales because you can sort of test the concept, see if it works out, and then target that group of people. It it, it sort of the whole organization gets much faster, much smoother, much much more highly executing, right? Sort of all cylinders are firing in a way that's just not there when you're doing these things much slower. And so so sort of the definition of DevOps is taking all of the work that you can possibly do and shoving into a process that you no longer need to pay any mind to. So the more of security and compliance and automation and steps that you've got to do to like get your package out, the less you have to have that in your mind and the more you can focus on the essentials, which is delivering value as you touched on. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, I thought Nicolas, your, your hand was up there. Oh. I was waiting for you to <laughs> yeah. slide on that point. I have a, I have a point to, to make. Uh, David, I really like the point you made there, and uh, I I remember reading in one of Uncle Bob's book about software development that it's better to have a design uh, that is wrong but can be changed than to having a correct design that is fixed and cannot be changed. And it's exactly the same with with DevOps. But if you have, as you said, if you have deployed something and it turns out that there is a mistake, or if the reality changes, you have to fix something, then uh, then you can fix it, you can change it. And it it's done in minutes or hours instead of, uh, as you said, weeks or months. That's a good point. And I think it's also an important addition that this basically means one level deeper again, that you're able to react to changing markets and conditions in the business environment more quickly, which gives you a competitive advantage at the end as an organization. But I think even yeah. if we're not talking about reacting to the market, it still gives you this this agility in in that your you know your mistakes cause less pain and, and cause less turmoil. 
Um, so like everything gets smoother and everything gets easier. So so even if it doesn't do anything on the market side, it'll still make your technical organization sort of execute in a better in a better tempo. Uh, sorry, Martin, for taking away. Yeah, no worries. No, but I think but I think it is also. I was gonna say that um, also regarding to the market, it could be that you ship something that is technically uh, sound, but the market reacts in a way that you are that you did not did not expect. That also allows you to you know to react uh, faster and either improve on you know let's say you release a feature that uh, you think is going to be great and then the, the reaction is uh, poor you can either tweak that feature or just remove it completely if if, if it's uh, that bad uh, without again having to wait you know two weeks or a month for the next uh, release cycle so that that's also you know yeah, it's a, it's also quite. Uh, I think it's like a quite important uh, you know advantage that that you get as well. I think the other side of the problem is that as a business, you know, you're making assumptions, right? You're you're guessing that some given feature is is going to cause some sort of income from somewhere, and and when you get that wrong, if if you don't have good DevOps practices and you don't have good flow in your organization, it's going to take a long time to rectify that. Whereas when you make the wrong assumption and you have a good flow and you can have something new out, you can sort of change direction almost immediately and say, okay, let's just scrap that. That didn't work out. Uh, let's go this new way. And and you get a much faster reaction time to to sort of the feedback that you get from the field. Really interesting point, guys. And Nicholas, I was about to ask just before we, we move on to the next question. Um, I know it was your question, but it seems to have, have kind of went, led us down a nice rabbit hole. So is there anything you'd like to add on your own question? before we move on to, to another question. No, I just wanted to add that uh, to recap what uh, we have just learned from this discussion. I think I, I really like that we can now conclude that it's too simple to say that DevOps is only about making things faster. It is also too simple to say it's only about quality. Uh, so so David's point, I really I really liked it that it's uh, it's both and it's this yin-yang uh, combination of, of, of the two that, that makes us strong with DevOps. I, I like that point. Thank you. No, it's, it's great. Some really interesting stuff, as I just mentioned, and I love the, the real world examples in there too as well. It, it's really enlightening stuff to hear. Anton, let's hear your question, mate, and um, give some context behind it. Of course. So uh, in my career, I have uh, worked in uh, multiple organizations, uh, some slightly bigger, some slightly smaller, but I would I have noticed that different companies take DevOps also quite significantly differently, much like Agile is being adjusted to every company's needs and market conditions and also history. Um, also DevOps practices, they kind of go through the same. So my question in relation to that is, uh, what do you guys think? Um, how does a company's maturity and size uh, play together in, uh, in in this decision to either isolate DevOps into a separate functional team or adopt it as a mindset in more cross-functional teams that are end-to-end -end responsible for their software's lifecycle. And uh, my question number two is uh, related to uh, a bit of a more security topic. 
um, because recently also the DevSecOps approach has been gaining some popularity uh, where you also think security into all of your processes into delivery from the very beginning. And it's becoming kind of the new kid, cool kid on the block in, in terms of DevOps. So I think uh, I would be also very interested to hear your opinion on where this is going. Uh, how far are we actually in, uh, in, in those practices? And uh, do you see this uh, changing? Uh, significantly in the in the upcoming times. I think starting with the first question, which is you know how does how does organizational scaling um, interact with this role versus versus culture? Um, I, I, it doesn't have to be the organization scale. We we see that with uh, with especially AWS and Amazon. Um, you know this whole day one mentality that you know a team always needs to be in full control of everything. So it's not necessarily how big the organization is. It's more sort of the the cultural mindset. And I think Peter Drucker's quote on culture eat strategy for breakfast is is exactly um, on point here, as you mentioned previously yourself. Um, it, it it's more about when when sort of the teams can't handle the load themselves and they start having to differentiate and embrace too much responsibility that you're then forced to do restructuring and you're forced to to sort of streamline responsibility and make sure that things go the right places and you have the right procedures and you have so and so and so. Um, I like to refer to it as organizational scar tissue because what happens is somebody makes a mistake. It's, it's almost never on purpose. It's never malicious, but somebody screwed up and it costs the company a bunch of money. And so now we have to put in a rule that will forever make us a little bit slower, a little bit less agile, nimble, whatever you say, because we now have to adhere to some process because we don't want to cost ourselves money again. And we just forget that doing so then slows down everything forever. So now if somebody has to sign on on every release, because there was this one release that went out and a big customer got really pissed about it. And so now everybody needs to make sure that the releases are perfect. And so now we have to take another day to verify that our release is now perfect. And, and these sort of little things, you know, organizational scar tissue, they sneak in. And the more of that you get, the more constrained you are in sort of adhering to the cultural piece and the more you're forced to do these workarounds where you create little teams that then take care of it because you can't possibly encapsulate that in every function and every team. Um, at least that's my two cents. Yeah, I think it is uh, spot on uh, in, in many places. And uh, for me, it seems that on, on my end, I do think it is indeed related to uh, the amount of software and the amount of capacity to deliver software that there is in a company. Because if it's, it's if it's a just one software team, then they don't have the capacity usually to give you the stability and the practices that you can expect from a larger companies with millions of users visiting their websites uh, every day. Um, but on, on the other end, I do recognize that it is definitely a culture and uh, this point with introducing uh, new gates, new restrictions and making processes a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit more bureaucratic here and there. Um, I, I do definitely recognize that from the places where I worked, uh, for sure. Um, and they are usually also motivated by the same uh, reasons that, hey, we want things to be more stable. But at the end, I think that that's maybe not exactly uh, the right approach. I think uh, having the quality in mind from the very beginning uh, is, is something that can solve those, but also uh, we have to tolerate mistakes because they do happen. It doesn't mean the process is wrong. No, I, I completely agree. And I think keeping that mindset of, of how do you keep delivery smooth is, is very difficult. Um, like when you're staring down some sort of compliance nightmare or some sort of incident, it, it's it's very easy to have this knee-jerk reaction of like, let's never let that happen again. Um, I think the question you have to ask yourself is, is this the right thing long-term, right? Would, would this be the right thing if there hadn't been an incident? 
Um, and, and there's definitely a pattern. Like I'll, I'll agree with you, like the bigger the organization, the more rules are in place, um, usually because somebody comes in in the executive suite and needs to shake things up and make, make sure everybody knows that they're in control. And you rarely see that with startups. Um, startups have this, this advantage that they have nothing to lose, right? So the smaller the company, the less they have to lose. And so the less it hurts when somebody makes a mistake. But I think the lesson to be learned, um, and I've seen it very smoothly in, in also some big companies, it's, it's really not about mistakes being made, it's about mistakes not being costly. So when something does inevitably go wrong, DevOps sort of helps you have a less, you know, huge blast explosion. So rather than having a whole crater afterwards to deal with, you have a slightly black hole in the table somewhere, right? That, that's manageable. Um, so it's really about reducing the risk when things inevitably yeah. go wrong. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I can uh, definitely also relate uh, this to the flow uh, topic that you raised before. I think it has a lot to do with the lean approach, as we have seen it in the car manufacturing, where it all started. And then we don't want to keep the big slack. We don't want to keep the huge release cycles because the cost of mistake becomes extremely large the less frequently you release because you know the, the, the value that is not delivered or the value that is lost is just compounding throughout the time uh, when, when things are not fixed. Uh, but so so I completely agree. I think that is uh, spot on. And the second question, which linked quite well into into the stuff we just spoke about there, was to do with the DevSecOps being on the rise. Where do you think that kind of thing is going to go? Martin, Nikolaj, any any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I can, I can give some uh, thoughts. I think I, I, I do like the idea of not leaving security as an afterthought. I think that's, that is a very valid uh, point. Um, I still think that yeah, uh, an engineer will not be an expert in everything, and uh, you know, still having experts in the field uh, is very valuable. Um, so, um, I think it's it's a good idea to to put security as part of of delivering software. Uh, that is that is uh, definitely something that that I think it's uh, it's a good idea. Um, so, for example, plugging in uh, into the pipeline something like a sneak or something to uh, to scan for vulnerabilities and, and make sure that make sure that at least you have your bases covered. I think it's it's definitely an advantage. Um, that does not replace uh, security experts, especially when when it's uh, on a larger scale, uh, where you know uh, something that was missed could be you know could make the news uh, then uh, then you definitely uh, still need uh, a security department but I, I do think that it's important to I think for a long time it was again same thing we did with the operations that was we ship code then it's operations who uh, has to take care of it it was kind of the same approach that uh, it was we ship code then someone will make sure that uh, it's secure to put it in production uh, so it's definitely a, a, a good idea to take security seriously during development, uh, in my point of view. But uh, yeah, that, that doesn't mean that uh, there's no more place for people who specialize in, in, in security. But uh, yeah, David, what do, what do you think about it? I mean, I think I think you're completely spot on. First of all, I, I, I think it's it's a beautiful way of looking at the world. Um, and, and I think Sort of security is a, a, I don't want to call it a problem child, but but sort of it's it's a thing that's that hurts you later. It doesn't hurt you upfront, right? Like if you can't deploy it, then the thing doesn't work. If you can't develop it, then like you know nothing's happening. Security sort of sneaks in later in the sense that like everything seems okay and then it's not. Um, 
and and as a result, a lot of the corporations that I've uh, visited over the years, um, when they become mature, they start taking security seriously. But in the beginning, when they're struggling with with what I like to refer to as basics, when they're having very long release cycles, when when they're firefighting a lot, they just they don't don't have extra capacity to look at security. And so usually one of the markings of a, of a more mature company is that they've started looking into security. They've started thinking about security in terms of DevOps practices. And I think slowly as we see, you know, DevSecOps become more popular, it's because we see more companies who've got the basics down. Um, there's definitely a place in the space for it. And it should be built into the, the software, you know, product cycle, just the same as quality, right? You should do these things up front so that you're not surprised about it later. Um, but I think it's, it's, as it's not a necessity, it's something that people learn a little bit later. And it requires a little bit more of the developers to sort of be security conscious. Um, I know it took me, me my, myself a while as a developer to sort of start learning security the right way and, and wake up to just how many things can go wrong. Uh, let's be fair, it's not simple. Um, and so having those specialists be part of your team and at least coach you is, is incredibly valuable. Um, Antons, what do you think about it? Yeah, um, so I think that the problem with security is that the incidents, they don't happen every day. If you ship uh, code that is not well tested, you will get very often uh, very quick feedback from your clients and then you will know that there is a problem that needs attention. We have to think it into the processes and then it goes on. Uh, and then maybe also someone from the C-suite needs to make sure that everything is under control and then we introduce something new and then things are fixed, everyone is happy. Uh, but in security, the cycle of uh, making errors uh, is, I mean, we make errors in security probably every day. There are definitely some few vulnerabilities here and there uh, on every release and so on. But the real incidents, they happen every few months, maybe every year or something like this. And I think that the more, uh, the, the sooner an incident happens, the more conscience conscious you will be about the security. And that is also my experience, uh, lucky or not, uh, in, in the organization where I work at right now, we had some security incidents happen and that made us uh, improve it uh, quite significantly over time and also introduce some requirements to the software that we ship, which also means that issues, they get fixed uh, at the time of I don't know, when we figure out that something is up with the release or maybe even at the software design stage, which makes it way cheaper to fix. Um, so, so I think that maybe back to Martin's point, if, if you have something that is built into your processes uh, that ensures that your basics are covered, this will make it way cheaper long term. Also knowing that security incidents, they don't happen too often. But again, I think it also comes down to maturity because you only know that these incidents happen relatively rare and have a relatively large impact when you have been there for a while. Anyone like to add anything else on that? Personally, from, from a perspective that I've seen on, I mean, I'm coming from a different perspective of recruitment. I obviously do a lot of dealings with DevOps, DevSecOps consultants that just really encapsulated everything that I knew uh, and I could I could follow up along with that conversation perfectly so that was such a good kind of summary of DevSecOps and how it benefits organizations and teams within organizations as well so thanks for that Anton's 
Um, I do just have one minor yeah, thing go to for add, it. Go which ends and triggered me. I think the reason we also see security practices being being taken more serious as you develop sort of your DevOps setup is, is as we lean into the ops part of it, we actually start to realize, hey, there's monitors going off. Hey, somebody's poking things they shouldn't. Um, you're living in ignorant bliss if, if you don't have monitoring and tracing and locking set up. So you just don't realize that you're getting hacked left and right. <laughs> I think that's sort of, you know, yeah, maybe triggered wasn't the right word, but at least you, you know, you made me go, yeah, that's that that part is true. <laughs> Makes sense. I can relate for sure. <laughs> yeah, take it easy on triggering David with the the Tai Chi. He's uh, <laughs> he's going to be a serious threat in twenty years' time. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, last but not least, Martin, give us your question, mate, and and some context behind it. Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I was just thinking, you know, um, about the well. The, the big subject of of the of the, of the talk that is uh, you know is it cultural position um i was wondering how has your um yeah your position about it uh, changed or not over the years uh, you know i think it's natural that we change uh, opinions on on different subjects uh, i can i can start with with my own position i i, I do i started and i still think that uh, it is a cultural uh aspect of of, of 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 a company so devops is not a position um, but having said that i do think that having people who are or having at least one person who is um, maybe more like a go-to person that has more experience working in this kind of uh, setup when you have a uh, a team of more traditional uh, development uh, focused uh, teams uh, it's it's also useful to have Yes, the whole team should uh, embrace the, the culture, and it's not it's no it's not that there's a development team and there's a person who or a few people who are doing DevOps, but there are there's maybe one or two people who are uh, more experienced, maybe in working in this kind of setup where um, you know where they can guide the rest of the team on on you know getting there from uh, especially when you go from you know, a more traditional uh, development and operations uh, setup to uh, to a DevOps, uh, to a proper uh, de- DevOps uh, team or DevOps uh, culture. Um, uh, so, yeah, have you had any kind of uh, yeah change in 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 what you think about it uh, over the years, or have you had any 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 kind of moment where you go, oh, actually? Maybe uh, you know. Maybe I wasn't completely right on this, or maybe uh, you know my my view of of the subject uh, changed on 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 you know based on this. Uh, yeah, David. I think it, it's sort of similar to when you're younger. Uh, you're usually more politically um, ideal idealic uh, idealist, uh, sort of more politically I- idealic. I my English is failing me. Sorry, but you sort of think in terms of of more pure and and sort of black white and less gray zones. I think I'm I'm very much a DevOps idealist. There it was um, at heart, and I still think of it as a culture, and that hasn't really changed. But it sort of became more nuanced with the years, in the sense that I I, I can now reflect more on like companies just not being ready for like the full transaction, not being ready to sort of have leadership take uh, the responsibility they need to take, have the teams transform in the way they need to, where you need to nudge them a little bit slower and allow a few more things to be uh, practical and, and pragmatic rather than push really, really hard for all of the things. And then at least just take one thing and improve that one thing, right? 
um, or at least start with low hanging fruit, take care of, of the absolutely horrible things and, and then work your way up from there because that creates a more constant change. Um, if you try to do everything at once, you're going to have a very hard reaction from the organization as a whole. Um, and if you win that, then you win the culture switches and that's great, but it's usually um, not what happens. Usually people need more time. They need, they need longer to reason about it. And so I think I, I still stand on completely the same ground that I did when I was, you know, 25 or even 20, but, but my approach to it has changed a bit because it had to be more nuanced to get the results that we were hoping for. Um, and, and I really enjoy the cultural piece of it. So just working at it slowly and showing the teams that, you know, there's a better way and leading by example usually goes a long way because they want to be better. They just don't know where to start, which is also what you're saying, right? Having a go-to person sort of helps a lot with that. Um, my five cents at least. Anton's? Um, I can definitely relate to what Martin uh, was saying um, because in the company where, where I work, um, we had historically cross-functional teams that were responsible for their own uh, software lifecycle end-to-end. Um, but it has also shown, uh, I mean, the history has shown that uh, our engineers often don't feel very confident in their DevOps skills, in their infrastructure knowledge. And I think that it is definitely a very specific area of knowledge and specialists exist in that area for a very good reason. Uh, and, and, and a lot of the teams and a lot of, let's say, normal, uh, quote unquote, uh, software engineers, they don't have the same knowledge of the infrastructure and the deployments and how things should be configured. And they don't feel confident in, uh, I don't know, adding something new to their Kubernetes cluster or uh, doing some changes on the production environment. So, so that's why I would say that culture or that that devops is both a culture and a position or maybe not so much position as much as a function i think it's a very good approach when there are some uh, centers of knowledge in the company that do have the necessary skills to set up things uh, in the right way but also that it is a culture that every team actually runs their own stuff that they build nice Nicolas, I noticed you, you raised your hand there as well. Well, that's maybe a fun anecdote. Uh, when I first encountered uh, DevOps, it was uh, we, we, we decided to build everything from scratch instead of using one of those fancy tools such as Jenkins or something like that. So we built everything in scripts and it, it went fine, actually. It was uh, incredible enough. It, we, we managed to build all the pipelines necessary. Uh, but um, what we thought the good idea was to, to to build everything from scratch because we could change it, of course, and it was very flexible. Um, but today, I think it's uh, there are so many tools out there, and they are very flexible. They you can do whatever you want with them, um, and they are just off the shelf, just to just to go ahead. And you can even expand extend them with 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 your own scripts if that's what you want. So um, I, th- I think that uh, to build everything from scratch is not maybe uh, maybe the right way because there are so many tools, uh, but I don't think anyone would would do that. <laughs> but uh, but I think to get the job done is more important than to select the right tool. Uh, yeah, that's uh, maybe my point. I think Nicolaja was one of your um, your questions as well, but it, it made me think of it um, like. DevOps as a as a term has become incredibly loaded. Like we, we've shoved so much complexity in there. When you look at the landscape now versus even just five years ago or ten years ago, there's so many tools. There's there's so many concepts. There's so many more things added to it that like the the com- complexity of the whole thing has just grown immensely. 
I mean, even in the time from like I learned Kubernetes in 2015 to now, like Kubernetes is a totally different monster. Like coming in as a new person and having to learn these things is almost overwhelming. And, and so I think the original concept of DevOps is the culture piece that we're talking about, but there's a lot of stuff shoved in there, which probably needs its own terms, right? There's some sort of cloud concept that now you need to be a master of the cloud in, in various different clouds and they're not the same and they have different tools around them and so on and so forth, right? It's a very big difference whether you're using Bicep or Terraform or a third thing or the CLI or, you know, there's so many different concepts now. And they've all been modeled under the hood and under the umbrella of DevOps. And so when people refer to DevOps, they usually mean some combination of these terms. Um, and it's sort of important to to at least deal with what we're dealing with. And then at least for the for the time being we've talked, when I think of DevOps, I think it's the clear cut, like how do we deliver production value? But a lot of companies, when they think about it, they think of it as this position. And so what you really end up looking for is somebody who can mangle the cloud in the way that it needs to, or somebody who can spin Kubernetes the way that it sort of scales out as you need. I think that makes this discussion very difficult as well. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the other the other part of this question that I, that I had was from the other side, right? Have you experienced companies going uh, changing their uh, approach to DevOps? Uh, um, I think that's also that's also interesting. You know, I think for the most part, when especially when when going into a company that that is trying to uh, to get into uh, DevOps uh, as a cultural change, uh, they usually start with uh, you know easy fix and you know rebranding a, a team is being one of them um, but sometimes it, it does happen that, that they do uh, eventually uh, uh, implement uh, devops as a cultural change in the company so i was wondering yeah what your experience is on, on that david um i went to a customer i'll, I'll allow to remain on names i won't even mention the field um but they sort of started out with this very typical picture of, of releases were taking longer and longer between um, the bug count, defect rate, whatever you call it, was going up. It was almost a linear line to the sky. Um, and, and, and they were struggling and they were struggling with deliveries. And so everybody was always trying to push more stuff in there. And as a result, you know, things that were already slightly on fire were not even getting put out. And, and it was this constant battle for survival. Um, and, and I stepped into a, a position, uh, not as a consultant at the time, but as a normal employee. Um, and I started pushing for like, okay, you know, when something goes wrong, let's, let's stop. Let's just, let's just ignore whatever delivery I'll, I'll take the, the fire for it. I'll, I'll go and talk to the, the manager or the executive suite or whoever is pushing on it. Um, and we're going to stop here and fix one thing. Just, just fix it so it doesn't appear again. And then slowly over time, this sort of, you know, let's fix problems as they come in started to have a payoff, right? You, you started having less defects because there was testing around things that weren't there previously. You started having a better flow because the pipeline was always first priority. You started having tracing and monitoring because you had to catch these things. But if you approach it sort of in any other different way, you're not going to get there because you sort of have to change the wheels on the car as you're driving. it. And so if you don't start by sort of doing the simple, you know, oil change, if we stay in the car analogy, the car's just not going to go. And so these big movements of, of like, let's change the culture most likely fail simply because you don't have all the little things required to get there. And you're coming from some sort of mindset where you're not doing the right thing and having to do the right thing feels hard. And so you need to allow time for people to grow into that. Um, and it's, it's the only time that I can successfully say that the company stuck with it over a long period. I've seen periods where they got better and then sort of slip back into the old patterns where like they got way better and then stabilized there instead and never sort of kept improving, um, which is still much better, but it's like you have to keep improving always. There's no stopping point. 
What about you, Nikolaj? Have you um, have you sort of done this journey before? Um, not really. Um, I have not experienced uh, an organization changing its uh, its view on um, the DevOps uh, as as an activity. No, no, I cannot add anything to that, unfortunately. Yeah, I would Something like to that, add actually. Uh, <coughs> Sorry, Anton, go for it. <laughs> a bit. Yeah, I would like to add a bit to to David's comments. I think that. Um, I have experienced exactly the same, uh, but not 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 in relation to DevOps per se, but more culture in general. Is that when an issue happens, uh, you solve it. Uh, you keep your house clean. Essentially, you are a good ranger, and we call it kind of the good ranger kind of culture, where you see some trash somewhere, you clean it up, because otherwise, if you don't do it. You get some time at a point where everything is trash. It's you know everywhere basically, and nobody bothers <laughs> keeping it up anymore. And that's uh, and, and that becomes a very big problem because then you are in the constant firefighting mode, which is very demotivating for the teams, which kills the productivity, which kills the quality of the software. Uh, so I think that the culture of of, of picking up uh, stuff that you see is 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 extremely important, and that's uh, one of the changes that I have experienced uh, in in my career, and I think it worked really well. But what was very important for such change to take place was first of all the buy-in from the top management. They understood why it was important. They really wanted to do that, and they started to also create space for engineers to fix stuff. And I think the same can be said about DevOps. Um, if, if things don't work, some deployment doesn't go through as we want it to, or quality is off, just go and fix it. And, and I mean, this is this is the culture part of it, which is a bit hard, and, and someone needs to have a pretty strong opinion on it and push for it. But then it's going to happen, and things are going to change. And another thing that I see also, uh, or that I've experienced in my career, was that an organization that becomes a bit more mature has... Uh, a bigger need usually for more specialized skills, both in security and DevOps and other things. So there is a push that is coming to actually get that expertise somehow into the company and help others to get better at it. So these are my five cents. I think it's one of those things that also you struggle with if you haven't written software yourself. Um, as a software developer, you have this inherent advantage that you understand how the how the cooking is done, you understand how the sources is made. And and it's very easy as a software person to realize that like yeah if I fix a mistake up front it's going to be much simpler much easier and much faster than if I leave it even just a week later. But as a as a business person it's it's been one of those recurring conversations I keep having. They don't see it that way. They see it in the sense that like we have a thing that takes two hours now. It'll also take two hours in a month. Why wouldn't it? Like like you know if the task is that size. But but if you start delving into what's what's happening, well, let's say that we find a bug today and we leave it. Then in half a year, there's going to be a couple of million lines of code on top of it. Um, everything's going to be much more complex. There's going to have been multiple updates to your dependencies, uh, to all your infrastructure around it, and and now you have to fix that bug with all of that additional stuff that can go wrong around it. And so now it's not two hours anymore. It's it's probably more like two weeks. And so the cheapest time that you can fix a mistake is right this moment, because it's only going to get more complicated and more complex. And, and talking into that topic with, with the business is, is very difficult, and also because they're not seeing the complexity. And I think part of what we have to improve as a field is also have a more honest conversation about, you know, when you leave engineers forever, they tend to rewrite everything first into Kotlin, then into Golang, then into a third thing. And so management also seen this thing that 
you know, when we advocate for equality up front, we sometimes go a bit overboard. Um, and just having that very honest dialogue around, well, you know, like this is a necessity and this is something we'd like. Um, it's it's very difficult and it's very gray zone. Um, I think that's why companies really struggle with getting it right. Nice. And Martin, I've seen a little smile on your face then. Um, I don't know if you know if you want to, to add something or if, if you just simply were agreeing with David there. Yeah, yeah, it just uh, rang some bells there. You know, I, I can definitely, uh, yeah, I can definitely uh, think of some experiences about, uh, you know, yeah, exactly that. You know, also sometimes let's say you have a service and it has a bug and you don't fix it today, and then a client of that service, um, you know, hits that bug, and instead of, uh, you know, if it's a different team implementing that that client, then maybe they write a workaround. On the client, right, and then it's not even just—it's no longer just fixing the what's broken itself anymore, but also everything else that uh, that was built around that uh, bug. Um, and yeah, I was just uh, yeah, maybe maybe I remembered some things, and uh, that's why I smiled. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Anton, do you have? Did you have anything uh, to add there? Yeah, I think that so David also mentioned that it's it's not so easy to change uh, the culture in a way that makes it possible to fix these bugs early on. And uh, one thing that I wanted to add also that uh, I have experienced myself is that it's it's not just about the engineering teams. It's also about the engineering leadership. It's about how the entire organization is able to come together to synchronize uh, enough on on all of the levels to make sure that these changes are getting implemented and how do you control that i think this and, and this is a whole different topic of, of of engineering management and technology management and just general organizational uh, theory on how do you make sure that you can decide to make a change and propagate that change to every single engineer and make sure that everyone works in a symphony that then delivers something good. I think it's, it's an interesting, possibly sideline debate, but, but there's also this push-pull between sort of we streamline everything and make it the same. Should we should we find one way of, of doing our code and lend it that way? Or should we allow different teams to have different opinions and, and different priorities? Because if you're sitting in a, a you know simple example would probably be if you invoice, if you're the team responsible for doing invoicing and you build an API around that, um, testing practices are very, very important and, and you probably want everything tested through and through. Whereas if you're sitting somewhere in the front end um, doing you know some, some mild marketing and like things break once in a while, that's not so important, but what's important is the speed of the thing. You're gonna have wildly different um, sort of tolerance for, for you know how much testing is enough, what would make sense. And I think I want to call it a mistake, but I don't think that's that's right. But I'll call it anyway. Um, is that companies want one size fit all? So you know, this is the way we do X. This is the way we do Y. And and so everybody has to do it this way, um, because it's harder to manage different teams doing different things and having different practices also in infrastructure and DevOps. Amazing. Anybody else like to go down a, another sideline debate and another rabbit hole before before we wrap things up here? No more rabbit no? holes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in my opinion, that's an excellent way to wrap up then. Um, before we end the podcast, though, I do need to say a massive thanks once again to all the guests, Anton, David, Nicolaj and Martin. Excellent panel today. All really cool people. Um, finally, just for, our, just for all of our listeners out there, if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, drop me a message as well, Jake Stamp. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me at jake.stamp at evolution-nordics.com. Thanks again to all the guests and thank you for listening.